Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Amir Mosvi. Amir is a coach driven by curiosity and a passion for helping others live fulfilling lives. After a decade in a well-paid corporate job, Amir realized the lack of excitement, Sunday scaries, and boredom with signs he needed to change. Enrolling in a coaching program, he experienced a transformative journey that reignited his passions and removed barriers to authentic living. Now, Amir coaches both experienced professionals and high school students preparing for the ACT and SAT, guiding them to unleash their quirky, eclectic selves and live life to the fullest. Hi, Amir. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out for this. Uh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, Amit. Amit, uh, I was, uh, you know, going through your LinkedIn profile and also, you know, your website. And uh, you were in a proper commerce role, right, when you started your career off. And I see that you transitioned into the teaching industry somewhere in the year 2011. So how did that happen? Could you repeat that? I was in a proper what role? In a... Corporate setting, basically. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah, you... yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I didn't get it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's really kind of it was by accident. I was, you know, uh, you know, had an analytics background, did uh, uh, corporate finance and consulting right. for almost ten years, and uh, I was uh, applying to grad schools and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of just started tutoring to make some extra money. Right. Uh, and I just sort of fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't feel like a job. And right. It never has. So mm. if you would have asked me, if you have told me, like, when I graduated college that I was going to be doing SAT, ACT prep, I would have said you were crazy. So... <laughs> Right. Got it, Amit. But uh, I, I, you know, I also read on your LinkedIn profile, like how, you know, you were not really uh, looking forward to the kind of work that you were doing before you started off SAT, ACT coaching. Uh, but then you said accidentally you did it for some extra money. But the kind of certainty and the predictability that you have with your full-time job may not be the case when you begin off, right? So how was that transition and how did you handle that? Did you keep your job and you did, 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 did you set yourself up until you made the kind of money you made with the job and then transition? Or how did that transition exactly happen? No, I, I, I literally, because I uh, um, actually took some time off. Um, right. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it was actually during the, the financial crisis, uh, 2009, mm. 2010. So mm. I actually uh, was laid off and I got severance. So that's what I decided okay. to leave New York and uh, come to Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, I grew up around the area. And um, yeah, so I, I just kind of started. And, um, you know, the, obviously the you know, there, there's all these books that say like, you know, do a part-time thing. Don't leave your full-time job. But, you know, that, mm-hmm. that just didn't happen uh, for me. So I just kind of just started 
Um, and it's, it's kind of funny because I, I really I had these very unrealistic expectations like, oh, you know, I'm going to start and like everybody's going to flock to me. But it, I, it definitely takes some time mm-hmm. um, to, to start the business. So like, you know, the you know, I was making like maybe a quarter of, of my salary, uh, my corporate salary, like my first year. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, was people always talk about lateral move. I mean, this was definitely from a money standpoint, it was a backward move. But uh, um, yeah, so would I like recommend it? (laughs) Leave it? No, it just it's kind of just what happened. You know, just what happened. Um, Right. So. Luckily, it worked out. Got it, Amit. I mean, it's you're saying luckily, but I'm just going to kind of, you know, uh, deep dive into that luck aspect as much as possible by asking you. First year, you said you only made a quarter of your corporate salary, right? But you must have done something uh, to improve that from the second year onwards, even though luck would have played its part. But what did you try and do? Honestly, I think it just takes time to, to get your, your name out there. Like, I mm. think, uh, you know, coming from a, you know, corporate retail background where, uh, you know, everything was moving online. I knew one thing I, I didn't want to do is actually get like an actual brick and mortar space. So, you know, I right. did everything out of, out of my apartment. Uh, you know, at first I, you know, traveled to students sometimes had students come to me but eventually uh as you know skype and zoom and and those platforms became more and more popular i kind of uh adopted that you know i think it's just you you have to be patient i mean when you start a business you can't just expect uh automatic success like you know the second year my you know my uh you know what i made uh, doubled and then the third year it doubled again. So, you know, there was, um, you know, I, I think it was less luck and just more, I was just really passionate about my job and I, and I really liked what I did. I, I definitely liked uh, helping students. Do I like test taking? Not necessarily. I, I like uh, helping students uh, overcome an obstacle. They think like, oh, I can't get into the college of my choice because of the SAT or AZT. This is going to be impossible but actually giving them the confidence to, to know that uh, they can, uh, you know, crack the test and um, achieve their goals. Got it, Adam. You're saying you just gave it time. You didn't, you were not impatient. You were patient and things happened. You just had to, you just did what you kept doing and you gave it time. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're saying it took you three years to reach the, money that you were making in your full-time job? I think by the third year, I had surpassed. You surpassed, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what, was I patient at first? No, I kind of, you know, wanted everything to happen immediately. Yes. And that's just, that's just not very realistic. Got it. Um, and in the process of, you know, wanting to make it happen in first year, what are the things that you, you know, in the hindsight, uh, share with others that you did was overrated and it's not needed. If you if you had to say, you know what, don't waste your energy and money on doing these things. It doesn't work. What are the things that you did the first year? 
you know, I think, you know, I started in uh, like around 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at that point there was, I mean, it, it's very different now uh, than it was then. I think back then it was very, you know, like a, a lot of the referrals I got was, you know, word of mouth and uh, all that. I, I think maybe 90% of the referrals I got was word of mouth. But now I'd say 90% of, uh, you know, the clients I get are, are through Google. They find me, you know, I was asked, like, were you referred by anybody? So I think a lot wow. of the, the type of marketing, you know, where, you know, people were focusing on word of mouth and stuff, although that, that still helps, I, I think that it's just the, you know, the landscape has changed so much. I think, uh, you know, everybody's going to, you know, Googling or, you know, using Yelp or, or whatever. Right, uh, right. Where back then, like, you know, I, I even remember like in the very beginning, I, I would make uh, lawn signs and actually like put, you know, advertisements uh, like by the road and, and stuff like that. That's just right. It sounds so archaic now. Got it. I mean, I mean uh, it's very, you know, very unique and interesting that, you know, you have such 90% was word of mouth when you started and 90% is through Google today. I haven't heard a lot of people have it like this. So when in this journey did you realize that, okay, you know what, websites and Google search is going to be a thing? And where did your journey of internet marketing start? And uh, can you walk us through that entire process until the point where you are right now? I think it was it was kind of a gradual thing. So... Uh, you know, I think a lot of times just when, you know, when I started, I, I kind of tried, you know, I threw everything against the wall and just to see see what's, what stuck. And I would do a little bit of, you know, email marketing, a little bit of word of mouth, a little bit of, you know, print marketing. Um, and, you know, you know, Google ads. And it, I think it was both you know, what worked and, um, also, um, just kind of like the, the, the gradual, like evolution, I think just, you know, print marketing and, uh, stuff like that just kind of got less important. So it's just kind of just kind of keeping up with the times and, and um, also just, just seeing what worked and what didn't work. So like in the beginning, like, you know, had I started, you know, with, uh, you know, hundred percent Google ads, I don't think that would have worked because I think right. I needed the the word of mouth to kind of build right. the business to, to get to a certain point and, uh, you know, using SEO and stuff like that. Uh, Cause a lot of that's built off of organic search and reviews and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, I think kind of the, those other methods were, were definitely needed uh, for me to kind of um, get get to um, kind of more of the Google, you know, being being able to be found on Google and, and all that. Got it. When you say people find you on Google today, so they land on your website, which is uh, Langley Prep. 
dot com. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, how old is this website, Amit? And uh, what are your, you know, if you can walk us a little bit through what you do to kind of get the traffic, and since how long have you been doing it? So, uh, I think a lot of the things, like you know, I I did myself. So, I, I think the website's probably like maybe thirteen years old, twelve years old. Wow. Okay, that's why. Right. So, honestly. A lot of the things happened by accident. You know, I wasn't an expert in SEO by, by any means, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think like as an entrepreneur, you, you, you sort of try to do everything yourself. And then you, you realize, you know, uh, you know, I kind of realized like, okay, I have a basic understanding of SEO. I have a basic understanding of Google analytics and Google ads, but I'd rather spend more of my time, you know, on my like forte in terms of just teaching students and kind of outsourcing that, uh, you know, that out, you know, outsourcing the the stuff out to to professionals. So, um, like, there's that book, the the four hour work week. Right, right. Tim uh, Ferriss. Yeah. So, like, Tim Ferriss, like. You know, he sort of hit the nail on the head where he's just like, you know, just, you know, outsource the this, this stuff that you, you don't want to do and, you know, focus on the stuff that you're you're good at. And, um, right. you know, there's all these like uh, websites like Fiverr and Upwork.com. Right. Um, so I think uh, that really helped. I think if one thing is, you know, I wish I, I, I did that sooner. Uh, right, delegating. You know, yeah, delegating because uh, in the beginning it was just like, oh, I can do everything myself, and I, right, you right. know, but eventually you realize that, yeah, I can do everything myself, but is it, um, is it worth it? Is it cost effective? Right, right. So, and uh, you know, when you started delegating, when you found experts on sites like Fiverr Upwork. Uh, what was your, you know, how much did you start spending on a monthly basis? And what is that amount now? Amir? Like, I don't know. Like, I think like, like with Google ads, uh, for example, I remember I started and, you know, I had no idea what like my spend was going to mm-hmm. be. Right. So, uh, you know, I think it was, you know, maybe $10 a, a, a day uh, mm. per ad campaign or, you know, five or 10 bucks. And right. you know, I just, I just started from there and uh, kind of like tweaked accordingly. So I think um, my, I think ad spend was probably lower back then because it was more uh, regional. You know, I, I was just, mostly dealing with students in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. But mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, I work with students across the country, even, you know, internationally. So, you know, it uh, sort of went up from there. Um, and the same thing with like Upwork and, and, and all that. Like, I think you don't have to really spend a lot of money, you know, th- there's there's so many experts out there and, um, you know, you can get, 
very good work done, you know, for, for, for fairly cheap. So, um, Dark. again, like it, it depends on, obviously a lot of people will save money because they'll, they'll outsource work like outside the United States where, you know, the, uh, you know, their hourly wage is, is lower, uh, and all that. But, um, it's kind of a give and take. I mean, you don't want to get, get like the cheapest person, um, because you don't, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get, but I think it, it just was an evolution. Got it. And you said, you know, when you started off, uh, students might come to your place or, you know, you would go to their place and stuff like that. And, uh, we know that in 2020, everybody started going online after the pandemic. When did your online journey start? You know, when did you shift into online? Was it because of the pandemic or did you explore that even before? It was actually, I was mostly, uh, you know, uh, virtual before. So I think I was right. maybe almost 100% virtual even b before the pandemic began. Wow, okay. So, uh, which year would you say you went 100% virtual? I mean, you know, I think it was like in the beginning, I was, you know, 100% in person, then it was like kind of 75, 25. And I think as yeah. virtual got like better and better, where it was just like, you know, it's, it's like meeting one on one. Um, right. it's a lot more convenient. Um, so I think by maybe 2015, 20, 14, 2015, I was kind of like 50, 50. And then right. uh, maybe 2017, 2018, I was kind of mostly all uh, virtual. I think the, the biggest change was, you know, I went from like uh, Skype to, to Zoom. Right. I, I right. think Zoom blew up and uh, uh, Zoom's just a much better platform. So I just remember Fine. like, you know, Skype at the time it, it was great. And, uh, but like, you know, sometimes it would have bugs and stuff. And I think Zoom just kind of took the world by storm like during the during the pandemic. So, yeah, um, I think that was probably the biggest change. But uh, yeah, my actual job, like in terms of like, did I have to like change it to virtual because of the pandemic? No, because, you know, I was doing it before. I'm just going to go a little, you know, uh kind of rewind a little bit and there are a couple of transitions that you've made now you were in a corporate job for almost a decade and then you transitioned into teaching and teaching was uh, in person and then there's another transition from in-person teaching to virtual teaching but first of all when you first took up teaching to make some money on the side um how easy or difficult was it were you did you find yourself to be a very natural teacher or did you have to pick up skills to become a teacher uh, I think in terms of like tutoring, uh, you know, teaching tutoring like that, you know, I, I only do one-on-one -on -one. Right. and I, I've always, I've always done, done that. And I think, um, you know, basically I, 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 I think it was sort of kind of like finding my niche because in the beginning I, you know, would tutor math and you know, different subjects. And I think finding my niche in terms of SAT, ACT prep, because I, you know, I did a lot, like, you know, I 
tutor people in like other tests like the GRE, the GMAT, uh, algebra, you know, middle school students and stuff. So like, I think finding my niche was, you know, took, took some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I think, I think I, I, I just always had a knack at explaining, uh, things to people. I think, uh, in my opinion, you either can teach or you can't. It, it, it's a it's a skill. Uh, right. You know, you can know a subject backwards and forwards, but that doesn't mean you can actually explain it to somebody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it kind of came naturally to you. Teaching was not a problem. The skills needed yeah. from a teaching point of view or tutoring point of view. Got it. Got it. I mean, I mean, another question is now during the pandemic, people didn't have a choice; they had to go virtual. But you started going virtual way before. What triggered that? I think just as you know, the technology got better and uh, people just became more comfortable. Uh, I remember in the beginning, like a lot of times, like uh, a lot of times, parents would be like, "No, oh, you know, I want to do one-on-one and stuff." And you know, I would keep data, and uh, you know, the at one point, my you know, I, I would keep the data on, on score improvement. And, you know, the score improvement for my like in-person students and, and my virtual students were pretty much were the same. My, my virtual students actually outperformed my in-person students a little bit. It was probably wow. negligible. It was negligible. Oh. But, you know, the point is, it's, you know, it, there, there was no, no distinct convention. When you think about it, you know, just from a conventional wisdom standpoint, you're like, well, how does that work, you know? shouldn't in-person be uh, like a bigger improvement you'd think, but I think just like with technology and screen sharing, being able to like use like tablet and, and uh, stuff like that. It's, it's really, um, it's become a game changer. Got it, Amit. And you said, you know, your virtual students began to outperform the in-person students. Is there anything specific you would attribute that to? I think, I don't, I don't know. I think it was like, and when I say outperform, I mean like it, it was like, it was, it was not very really different. The same, right. But right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it, I think it's just, you know, like technology became so good where it's, it's all, it, it's like you're, you're meeting one-on-one. Um, right, right. I think in the beginning, when you think like Skype, where it was at the very beginning where it would freeze and, uh, you know, you know, it, it's definitely come, come a long way. Right. Right. Got so. it. And uh, I was, you know, going through your website, your, your courses are a little unique in a way that, you know, you have long prep time, like six months and you do only classes once or twice a week. So at any given point in time, how many students do you handle currently? Uh, I, I limit my students. I do a maximum of like maybe eight students per exam session. And just because, uh, I, I allow a lot of access. So, you know, if, you know, students like, you know, between sessions, if they have questions or they don't understand me, they can schedule extra help sessions over zoom and and that's unlimited. So, um, I can't, you know, do that if I have 
you know, a lot of students. So I have to kind of cap it. Um, so, and, and I like it that way because, you know, I want to make sure, I, you know, I give my students as, as much focus as possible and I, you know, can be available for them. So, right. and, you know, it's also a lot of like checking. So like I'll check in with them. So it's a lot of like texting back and forth and, um, right. uh, it, it's not like even if it's once a week, it, it's not like I see them. And, you know, on a Wednesday and then don't talk to them until the other Wednesday, I'm, you know, where you're right. texting or, you know, there may be a couple, you know, 20, 15, 20 minute Zoom sessions in between that week. They don't understand the concept. So. Um, and I think that's that's a, that and also just the longer. Uh, prep time, so I think the shortest uh, package I have is like five months. And I think the, the biggest misconception in test prep is mm -hmm. people think it's like, you know, what, the, what they learned in school, that the tests don't necessarily teach what, what you learned in school. Right. So it's, it's best to think of them as, you know, completely new subjects. You can't learn a completely new subject in a matter of, you know, weeks or, even a month or two. Right, right, got it. I'm just curious about this. I mean, I also saw that you know you're a certified coach, uh, life coach, and um, you just said you you only take up eight students in a season. Am I correct? Uh, is that exam because for exam session? So uh, yeah. is that is that normal or is that is that on the lower side because you're also a certified life coach? You're trying to you know. Both uh, both sides is that what it is, or is eight students pretty normal? Yeah, so there there's uh so just you know there's like seven um, times that, that the SAT is uh, administered, right? So just that's month. So like each so each time that that's like a, a maximum of eight. Right, right, right. right. So like 50, 56, 56 students. Got it. Yeah, and then there's also the ACT as well. So, um, right. But in terms of the the, the life coaching, I actually uh, started uh, did that uh, during the pandemic because when the exams were canceled, um, um, I, you know, basically. Uh, didn't, didn't have a lot to do. So uh, I, I took a, a life coaching uh, certification course. Right. And um, I think that's a, that's a newer thing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, now, like I do have a, you know, it, it's all under, it's, it's, it's on my website. Uh, but yeah, so that's more um, kind of, life coaching, uh, career coaching for college students or, uh, uh, mostly college students really. Um, I think the impetus for that is, you know, when, when I was in college, you know, I, uh, I have ADHD. I was, I wasn't diagnosed until a lot later in life. So, right. um, you know, high school was pretty, um, 
you know, it, it was a lot easier for me because it, there was more structure. Um, you know, college, there was less structure. And, uh, you know, I definitely started uh, struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even after graduating college in the real world, there's even less structure. So uh, I remember definitely struggling in, you know, my first my first job after college. So, you know, I didn't get diagnosed until I was, um, 29, 30 years old. Wow. So, you know, and there was a lot of, you know, struggles I had, you know, some in high school, more in college and even more like in life after college in terms of, uh, being undiagnosed. So I, I think the goal of, of life coaching is to kind of help students. So a, a lot of, you know, my, my clients, um, you know, have ADHD and, and struggle with that. Not, not all of them, but, you know, I think that's one of the um, things, you know, that I'm really passionate about to kind of help students uh, kind of avoid and, uh, you know, what, what I went through. So and to, to make life easier for them. Got it, Ami. Got it. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'm just going to uh, stick to SAT, although I've got a lot of questions. Uh, probably, you know, we can have another session just on your life coaching and, you know, that's, yeah, that's kind of a whole to new, discuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's great stuff, you know, what you're doing because you have a very, uh, you know, a very important set of people that you're serving your, you know, offering your life coaching services to. I think it's the most important phase in anybody's life. But yeah, we can get back to that at a later point. But now, uh, you know, SAT is going digital. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you think that's impacting all the test prep coaches like you? Um, because when it comes to practicing, students having a very similar environment, just like how they would take the test in a digital atmosphere in SAT for them to be able to practice in that, you know, simulated environment is important. So, so how are you dealing with that? And how have, how have things changed for you as a test prep coach after SAT, uh, went digital? Well, uh, you know, the, the SAT changed was a different format, uh, you know, pre, uh, 2016. And then it, changed in 2016 um, because like pre-2016 more students were actually taking the ACT than the SAT and then the SAT kind of changed its format I I think previously before 2016 uh, it was out of 2400 and that experiment just didn't really work it you know uh, they went back to 1600 and they made the test actually more like the ACT so when that changed it it everybody you know a lot of times you have to start from square one because it's like a completely you have to learn a completely new test a completely new format right. uh, you know and the questions change uh you know this is no the sat going digital is no different so it's it's kind of uh you know every there, there's a lot less data right you know because you have a lot of uh, you know with uh, I remember from like when it's the SAT switch in 2016, there was like all these, uh, you know, tests 
uh, you know, practice tests and previous tests. And then in 2016, it just, you know, the SAT kind of, you know, on the website, the college board, it's like, here's, you know, three or four practice tests. So you're, you're kind of starting, you don't have a lot of history. Um, right. Now, since 2016, and now, you know, we're in 2023, there's, you know, years and years worth of uh, tests and, and um, practice and data. And then now all of a sudden you're, you're starting from square one again, where there's, you know, not a lot of practice tests. A lot of, you know, these companies like Kaplan, Princeton Review, they'll, you know, create practice tests and, and digital tests, um, but they're, they're, they're copies. They're not, you know, real questions, they're not real tests from the makers of the, from the SAT. So, uh, right. uh, you know, those tests, you know, are only so helpful. I think that one of the things that I, I do is I only use questions from uh, previous SAT exams or, you know, questions that are, uh, at least for the SAT, you know, the college board makes or for the ACT, the people the ACT makes. So right. that becomes a lot harder when, you know, there's a, a, a new test format. Right, right. Got it. And uh, from a, you know, I, I know you must have your virtual teaching set up in place, given that you started very early compared to a lot of others, like in 2014, 2015. But today, what's your virtual set of, virtual stack looks like, Ahmed? Like, what are the tools, online software tools that you use to kind of, you know, make your virtual teaching a success? You know, Zoom and then like uh, a, you know, an app like uh, Sketchbook uh, and like a, right. yeah, or something similar or like a, you know, a walk, uh, and a Wacom, Wacom tablet right. is, is really um, what I use. And then there's also just a lot of, uh, you know, online stuff that, that I use, like proprietary materials that, that I've made and flashcards like Quizlet. And um, so that, you know, that's really it. And when you onboard a new student, uh, do you kind of, you know, do you have a diagnostic test that you give them to kind of judge where they are at? And, you know, do you customize your uh, teaching plans for them? Yeah, I, I customize the curriculum for uh, every student. Uh, sometimes if, if they haven't taken like a PSAT or uh, a, a practice test, then yeah, I, I would give a diagnostic test first mm -hmm. to see where they're at. But um, mm -hmm. sometimes if they've already taken a PSAT, I, I, I'll just look at that. So I think it just depends on the student. Got it. Got it. Um, and another question, you know, probably I, I'd conclude with this. How has uh, the test optional impacted tutors in general, you think? I know, uh, you know, you, you handle about 56 students a year, but did you feel anything change at all at the point when test became optional? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it, it definitely uh, impacted everybody's business. So uh, right. I actually kind of... Uh, tweaked my business and kind of mm -hmm. uh, started uh, tailoring my test prep for uh, 
you know, students gunning for the, the you know, most selected schools. So those, right. you know, super competitive schools, like top, top 20, top 30 schools, because, you know, the SAT may be optional, but, you know, for those schools, it's it's definitely a, a, a big advantage if, if, you, if you submit, um, you know, an SAT or ACT with your application. You know, depend, given that, you know, your, your scores are within the threshold uh, of that of that specific college. So I think uh, I was kind of working with a lot of, you know, before it was test optional. You know, everybody was taking the SAT, uh, but uh, you know, a lot of students, I think, especially for like you know less competitive schools, you know, didn't decide, you know, I don't have to take the SAT. So um, yeah, I kind of sort of uh, switched my focus to you know um, kind of uh, target more students and work with more students, uh, trying to get into those more competitive schools. But, but now, yeah, and, and now it's it's kind of we're seeing kind of a maybe a shift back. A lot of these schools that are going test optional, or, uh, you know, a lot of them are beginning to require the SAT and ACT again. So at this point, I'm not sure wh- what direction it's going to go. Right. But um, no, it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens. And it's it's it I, it's tough with, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, college admissions offices, uh, you know, just reading a lot of stuff and it's like, it, it, it makes their job that much tougher in terms of looking at, you know, the, the criteria for, for applicants. Um, and then if, you know, you don't have a test score, uh, it makes it that much harder because it's difficult to, you know, uh, you know, a 4.0 in, in one high school may be very different from a 4.0 at another high school, you know, another part of the country. Right. So I think a lot of times the, you know, schools will use the SAT and ACT as kind of a, a, another data point. Right, right. Got it, Adam. One, one final question, you know, to close. What I would ask is, you know, from a tech point of view, what, are, you know, you, you, you do 100% virtual. Do you think... Mm-hmm. You know, the tech is sorted. Are there any pain points that you face? Do you think, oh, if I had this, life would be easier, things would be better? Do you, you know, do you miss certain tools or technologies in your virtual teaching setup or your set? I think it's pretty much set. I think uh, in the beginning, there was pain points. Like, I think when I started Skype, like it would freeze and uh, sometimes there was just connectivity issues and uh uh and and that for the most part is gone right so you know i rarely i mean do i ever do i am i saying do i i I, do i ever have problems on zoom yeah sometimes it's just you know because like it's just technology sometimes it just doesn't doesn't work so but I, i think it's 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 come to a point where it's 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 just very advanced and it, it i'm interested to see like what what happens in the future like to see like where where it goes so i mean with ai and stuff like who know who knows what's going to happen yeah yeah exactly 
Thank you so much. It was it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing all your experiences about the way you built up your business. And uh, I'll totally hit you up to have another session just to talk about, you know, your ADHD experience and mm -hmm. the life coaching and how you do it for your students. You know, that's something that I think we can do another episode on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, but thank you very much. It was, uh, thanks for having me. And, My uh, pleasure, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.